Welcome to Strategy Simplified. Today we're doing a live case with Marco, who's finishing his Master's of Science in Management later this year in Milan. Marco's targeting MBB and has completed over 35 cases out loud before doing today's live case. Today we're going to do a McKinsey style case, which is interviewer led. In this style of case delivery, you still need to try and drive the conversation forward while respecting the fact that the interviewer has a defined pathway of how they'll move through the case. As such, these are great cases for you to drill alongside as you follow along. So grab a pen and some blank paper so that you can participate. First, we'll run through the case and then I'll provide feedback and stay tuned after the case for after office hours where I answered listener Sweta's question on how to consider her candidacy to top firms as an experienced hire candidate. Well, let's go ahead and dive into our case for today. Um, so this case reflects uh, a little bit of, of my background, actually, uh, in the education space. And it may not be a space that you're, you're really familiar with, but I'm excited to dive in and see what thoughts you may have. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about the, the client setup here. Um, your client's going to be a public school system in the U.S. Now, they've got... Uh, 130,000 students in total, multiple locations across one city area. The average score of the students in a statewide exam is much lower than the scores of students from the rest of the state. And so they brought us in to try and help. Uh, the clients pose the key question of, you know, how would we improve the academic performance of the students in the city? In this public school system, there's 13 grades or levels. It's broken then into three main groups. There's the elementary schools, which range from kindergarten to sixth grade. There's the junior high school, which is seventh and eighth grade. And then high school is ninth through 12th grade. Okay. So I just took notes of everything. Let me recap uh, the prompt. So our client is a uh, public school system that is based in the US. We're talking about multiple locations of schools in a American city, which has uh, uh, 130,000 students. Um, what the client is asking us is how can we improve the academic score of these students because their academic score is actually lower than the average uh, scores that was recorded in other location in the US. So my first question is, first off, do we have any specific ob objective of the client? So he just trying to ask us ways to improve. So brainstorm any ways to improve it. Well, they want to see their academic improve academic performance scores for their school system increase. Okay, sure. Do we have like a specific grade or specific average or academic score they're trying to achieve? And if so, in how long? What is the time frame they're trying to achieve that? Mm. Um, so there's no specific target. I'm sure that they want to get at least you know parity to hit the average. Uh, I'm sure that they would like to do above average as well. Um, they, they'd like for, you know, to be able to hit this as soon as possible, but right. they're looking to our guidance for that as well in terms of timing and implementation. Okay, sure. So I just want to understand better our clients. So is it like the, like a big school that has other schools that, then summed, summed up make the 130,000 students? Yes, it's like a collection of schools is okay. what would be the, the public school system. So there's going to be okay. multiple elementaries, junior highs, high schools. Okay, got it. Okay, great. So I'm just going to take a minute to gather my thought and think about some ways to improve the academic score. Actually, before you do that, yeah, let me sure. have you answer one additional quick question here, sure. which is, um, you know, what, do you have any ideas about what you think maybe that, you know, the, the KPIs would be or the metrics that matter in terms of improving academic performance? 
Um, well, for sure. Uh, well, actually, I don't have great experience with that, but I can think of it as the knowledge of the, um, let's say, courses kids are taking in school. So mm. if they improve their knowledge of uh, specific courses, for example, math, they're going to do better in uh, taking scores. I mean, taking tests and improve their score. So... Yeah, I think that's some really good intuition. Absolutely. A lot of this is based on standardized test scores and uh, how well the students at each grade level do on, um, yeah, yeah, how well they score on on those standardized tests. So uh, nice job. Okay, so uh, go ahead and um, feel free to put put a plan together here. Okay, sure. We'll be right back after this quick message. Do you want to break into McKinsey, Bain, or BCG? Then join Black Belt. Black Belt is a structured case prep program that combines expert help with self-paced prep curriculum. You get eight one-hour, one-on-one case coaching sessions with a former MBB coach. You also get access to unlimited digital prep materials, and homework will assign you in between sessions to accelerate your progress. Oh, and by the way, 60% of Black Belts who complete the program land an offer at a top 10 firm. So if you're serious about landing an MBB offer and changing your whole career trajectory, join Black Belt today. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Okay, good. So the way I would address this issue, uh, so how would we improve academic scores is make the assumption that in order to improve it, uh, kids should, or uh, like people in these 13 grades should uh, better um, understand or learn the courses they take. So to do that, I structure the way I want to solve the problem into buckets, what we could do in school and what we could offer outside school. So what we could do in school is increase the number of hours students stay learning or diversify the work. So introduce new way of teaching and make kids do, for example, group projects. Finally, do uh, some more interactive teaching. Outside school, we could do recorded uh, lessons. So again, um, I'm thinking about record the courses and make the students uh, um, re-watch the classes they took, but do it at home. Or also the school system could partner with companies that uh, uh, develop specific courses that can broaden the knowledge of kids uh, outside what is taught in class. Okay, where would you start? So I think uh, I would start from what is done in school. So understand what actually is done now and what we can improve by looking at what the school system has already implemented. Great. Um, Okay. So we have found one area so far of uh, potential improvement. I want to tell you a little bit about it. Sure. Something that's going on right now is um, students are not getting their books on time. So um, here's some background information that we know. We know that there's the same number of students in each grade within the school system. And let's let's uh, let's assume equal number of students in each grade, equal number of students in each class. For mathematics each student is going to order two math books. Today, only 75% of the books arrive on time. In current state, this inefficiency is uh, determined to be 75% due to warehousing and 25% due to online orders. McKinsey, we've already started a little bit of work in this area. We've uh, created some improvement suggestions. And if the client follows through with those, a new warehouse model would improve the efficiency by 50%. 
and online orders would be improved by 80%. So how many additional math books should the junior high schools get on time with the improved efficiency in the system? Okay, sure. Let me just finish writing. Mm -hmm. Okay, let me uh, recap what I uh, just wrote down. So first off, the problem McKinsey identified is that books are not delivered on time. So we assume, well, the first assumption is we have the same number of students in each grade and class. Then each student order two books and 75% of those books ordered arrive on time. Then uh, we have a 75% of these books that are stored on, in the warehouse and 25, they come from online orders. Um, so the 75% and the 25%, that right. helps denote the, the, what's going wrong when the books don't come on time. Those are the inefficiency areas. Okay, sure. So what is this 75% uh, really means? Like the, so 75% of the books that don't arrive on time they go to the warehouse? 75% of the books that don't arrive on time are late because of warehouse issues. Ah, okay, okay. Mm -hmm. So the problem is 75% on the warehouse and 25% uh, to blame the online order. Exactly. Okay, okay, got it. And now we're thinking about new warehouse improvements. We would, which would improve by 15% the warehousing and 80% the online order. Mm, yeah, the warehouse improvements would improve that area of inefficiency by 50%, five zero. Okay. And what about the 80? Yep, and online order inefficiencies would be improved okay. by 80%. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay, thank you for uh, the clarification. So now the big question is, how many books, can, can I hear that again, please? Yeah, how many additional math books would yeah. the jun junior high schools get on time with the improved efficiencies in the system? Okay, and I understand, okay. Junior high school. Okay, good, so Okay, so what I would do now is understand how many uh, kids are in junior high school, so seventh and eighth grade. Then I will calculate the books, the, poten the potential number of books that should arrive. Understand how much actually arrive on time doing the percentage on these total books and then improve it by the percentages we, we talked about before. Great. Okay. So now uh, we said 130,000 students. We have 13 grades, which means that each grade has um, 10,000 students. Mm -hmm. Junior high school is just two grades, so seventh and eighth. What I would do is now multiply 10,000 students by two. So we have mm -hmm. 20,000 students grade seventh and eighth, which is junior, okay. Junior high school. Are we assuming that 100% of those students um, order two books? Yes. Okay, so we now have 40,000 math books. Out of 40,000, just 75% arrive on time. So I'm just gonna, do the percentage on this. We have the 10% is five is uh, 4,000, 10%, which means that 5% is 2,000. So it's 4,000 times seven plus 2,000. So, um, okay, 30,000 books arrive on time. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
arrive on time. Now, so we are missing out 10,000 books. But the question now is, if we do the improvement, how many are we getting more? Mm -hmm. the, okay. So Okay, so what I do now is find the percentage, so the 75% that are due to the warehouse on the 30,000 and then improve it by 50%. And then calculate the 25% on the 30,000, which is due to the line order and improve it by 80%. Well, the 75% and the 25%, those speak to the inefficiencies, not right. the books that, that get there on time. Okay, sure. So I'm trying to think about inefficiency, right? The inefficiency is 75%. What exactly does it mean? I'm trying to think that. I'm, I'm trying to brainstorm. Uh, sorry if mm -hmm. I speak out loud, but that's what I'm trying to think. Okay, so this um, is due to the inefficiency. Oh, so which means the 75% of the 10,000, which don't arrive. Yes. Okay, good. Okay, now I will do what I said, but with the 10,000 instead of the 30,000. Is it the correct approach to move on? Perfect, it is. Okay, mm -hmm. good. So, so now let's calculate 75% of 10,000, which is 7,500 books. And... Okay, warehouse and 25%, which is 2,500. Again, books for the online. So now I need to improve um, 7,500 by 50%, which is uh, 3,250. And uh, check that one more time. By 50%. Okay, yeah, it's uh, 3,750. Mm -hmm. And then by 80% on the 2,500, so which is 250 times 8. Because I did the 10% and I multiply by 8. So 250 times 8. eight. Okay, good. So 2000, mm -hmm. which means that if we were to improve our um, efficiency, we would get an extra total of 5,750 books. Say that number one more time. I didn't catch it. Yeah, I said if we were to um, do our uh, improvement on efficiency, mm -hmm. we would mm -hmm. uh, have... 5,750 books. Okay. More. What do you think about that? Well, we have a um, total of, I mean, it's not enough. It's still something, but it's just uh, a little bit more than half of the books we're missing because we're missing 10,000 books and we're going to get a little bit more than half. So I should definitely be interested in thinking about ways to increase this number. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Great. Um, now let me ask you, Marco, what do you think about, um, what do you, what role do you think that teachers play in all of this? Uh, the, the role the teacher play, you mean in, I think in improving academic score, right? Yep. Because, exactly. Um, well, let me just take 30 seconds to have a more structured uh, answer. But if I just were to start, I would say that uh, I think it's this public school system in our case that tells teacher for how long 
should they teach and the way they teach. So I'm not completely familiar with the US school system, but maybe teachers have more freedom to decide on the way they want to teach. So if that's the case, they can definitely have an impact on the improvement of the academic test, test score of students. So if we have any uh, information about the freedom of teachers in teaching kids, that would be uh, helpful. Yeah, I mean, I would say as basic context here in the United States, um, teachers are certainly prescribed at an outline level or maybe at a lesson plan level, but not down to the minute and the format of delivery. And right. um, sure. it's it's not fully prescribed. They do have flexibility and freedom to to decide how they want to how they want to teach and convey information, what information to convey to the students. For sure. So with this information, I would definitely say that uh, teachers do have an important role in uh, kids improving their academic score. Okay. Um, what are some of the ways that you think that they might be able to improve on the, this key metric? Sure. So I'm thinking about three ways. So the first one is the way they teach. So is it just frontal teaching? Like uh, I'm just teaching you things. You need to rehearse them and then say it back to me, or it's just a more interactive way of teaching. Second is what they teach. Is the things that they teach are actually tested on those tests? Or are, the, are those teachers testing, actually teaching what is not tested on tests? Third, the how. So is it just uh, in, in class or is the teacher giving like extra, let's say, um, you know, tests or uh, papers to write um, at home? Is the teacher stressing the fact that uh, students need to keep up with the work. So I'd say these three, three drivers. Okay. Awesome. Uh, can you come up with one more? One more? Yeah, mm -hmm. sure. Okay. So, um, I would think also is the teaching, I mean, is the, uh, teacher, uh, vouching for uh, just books or also interactive way of teaching, like uh, watching YouTube's, uh, I mean, watching YouTube videos, because recently uh, school systems are changing and there is a big part of, let's say, um, internet playing in teaching kids. So it really depends on how the teacher um, conduct the way it works. Is it very, let's say, book driven or it also involves other types of way for their um, students to learn. Okay, great. Um, well, with that, um, we, we talked a little bit about the roles of the teacher and how to improve access to on-time books. Let's look at another issue, which is capacity utilization. The school system has decided to move the sixth grade from elementary to junior high school. Currently, each elementary school can hold a maximum of 6,000 students. But today, only 4,800 students are enrolled. Here, in this question, we should not assume that there is an equal distribution among the grades. Instead, let's assume 600 students are in the sixth grade. What would be the new capacity utilization by moving sixth graders to junior high? And what's the percent change in capacity utilization? Okay, great. So I just want to, again, uh, just tell you what I wrote. So we're saying that sixth grade now are going to be moved to uh, junior. So we're saying that each school have 6,000 students, correct? Yep. 
Each elementary okay. school. Mm -hmm. each, each elementary school. Okay. And now only a number of those students are enrolled. I missed the number of students enrolled. Mm. So the the building can hold up to 6,000 students. Right. But there's only 4,800 students right. enrolled. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to move uh, 600 students to the junior, let's say, tier from sixth grade. Now, yep. what we're trying to understand is the percentage change in capacity utilization. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So Okay, it's cool. Okay, so what I would do is understand how many schools we have, multiply that by the um, number of students enrolled. I mean, is the number of students enrolled uh, the sixth grade or all the grades? The sixth grade. Sixth grade. Okay. Okay, so um, multiply the number of enrolled six grades for the number of schools? Uh, well, we can consider that that stays consistent from elementary school to elementary school. Right. But I'm saying what I would have done is get the number of books needed or that the, this, the, the 600 students more will need to order. Okay. Um, so capacity utilization for, mm -hmm. for the building is a separate idea than uh, the books that they need. This, oh, okay. This so it's, okay. My, my, sorry. I, mm -hmm. I missed that. So we're talking about the capacity utilization of the building. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. So. Okay, the percentage change in capacity utilization, perfect. So, okay, let's start with some percentages. I mean, what is the percentage of students uh, uh, of sixth grade in each school? So it's like 4,800 divided by 6,000. Yeah, that's the current capacity or ca exactly. current, current utilization. Mm -hmm. Right. Which, uh, which means uh, is 480 divided by six, because I already did the calculation in percentage. So what I did is uh, 4,800 divided by 6,000 times 100. Okay. Which gets us to 80%. Mm -hmm. So, and this is just one school. So, in one we school, can, mm -hmm. yeah. we can cons we can consider that's consistent across all elementary right. schools. All mm -hmm. the schools have eighty percent um, capacity utilized. Mm -hmm. So now uh, we are um, adding up six uh, hundred students from sixth grade to junior, which means we're gonna have. Um, 4,800 uh, plus 600. Um, not plus. So are we adding up 600 students in each school or all the schools in total will uh, increase by 600? Currently, sixth grade is in elementary, but sixth grade is now going to move to junior high. Right. So the number of students in sixth grade is actually 10,000. No, for this question, okay. we're assuming okay. 600 yeah. in sixth grade, but they're okay. going to be removed from the elementary and moved over to junior high. Okay. Okay, so now the capacity, 
decreases. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now I see. So it's going to be uh, 4,200 over 6,000. Mm -hmm. Times 100. Okay. Which means 420 over 6 in percentage, which is 70%. Okay. So the change in capacity is 10%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good. So, okay. The change in capacity. So 10% actually not that high, I think. Or only, I mean, 80% of the, let's say, school building was occupied. So now that we decrease by 10% is definitely something to consider. I don't think it's a big number, but it's definitely something to look out for. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think might be some of the implications of that? Okay, sure. Well, um, if the number of students in school decrease, I would say that the revenue from the, the school will decrease. So revenue decrease. Then um, classes will be of smaller size. So taking it back to the learning process, this actually could, I think, improve the academic score if we assume that smaller classes learn better. So mm -hmm. if less kids are in class, maybe they just retain information better because they are not, let's say, um, distracted by other colleagues. Mm -hmm. And the third implication is the fact that less, um, I mean, lower capacity would mean that even though we saw the inefficiency, uh, we could actually have uh, a better uh, book delivery to students because less people are in the school, but we are not gonna, uh, let's say, order the same amount of books. The number of books is going to decrease. So kids are going to have like, uh, they're gonna be more likely to have their books. Okay. Um, Marco, how would you summarize our findings so far? We'll be right back after this quick break. The best way to prepare for case interviews is through OutLoud practice with a partner. If you're looking for case practice partners, we can help. We have a free LinkedIn group you can join to find partners at your level and in your time zone. The link to join is in the show notes. In addition, we have a team of trained MBB coaches who can work with you via one-on-one -on -one Zoom sessions to help you get ready for case interviews. Whether you're starting from scratch or just need a little bit of extra help to get over the hump, our coaches have seen it all and will customize each session to your specific needs. If you're looking for a tailored and structured case prep program, look no further. Again, the link to join is in the show notes. So the first question was, how we, would we improve the academic score? And we found that um, we have an, an inefficiency in delivering books, but McKinsey actually managed to understand how to improve it. And we found out that um, teachers play a big role in kids increasing their academic score. Mm -hmm. With that being said, now we, we're thinking to move sixth grade to junior um, grade, but this would decrease the, the capacity in the, in the building. So, so yeah, that's the things that I noted now. Okay. Uh, any other final comments? Um, no, not that I think of. Okay. All right. Break. Okay. I didn't think that was the final recommendation. Ah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, exactly. uh -huh. Okay, yeah. so that's, that's, we'll talk yeah. about that and we'll talk yeah. about some other things. Yeah. Um, so that case ran us, um, let's see, 34 minutes. 
Before we jump into my commentary, Marco, briefly, how did that feel? How well do you think that you did? Honestly, I think that at first I was really, I mean, I had questions on the type of prompt that you gave me. But after the first like a couple of questions, I think uh, I understood the problem. Here's the thing. When I got through the calculation and everything, I felt good. But then when we talk about the last point about the capacity, I didn't uh, understand if it was related with the books or not, because I'm used to, to the, let's say, interviewee led and those kind of, let's say, cases. I personally feel they start with a prompt and they get through that. This felt like more different questions, things that mm-hmm. are not related, even though I think the capacity was related to the main objective of the academic score, wasn't it? It, kind it of, could be. I don't know. It okay, could, it could be. be. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So because if it wasn't, if it's not related, then I, f- I feel better because while I was doing the capacity, I was trying to think how is the capacity affecting or uh, having, let's say something related with the academic score that was uh, threw me off. I didn't understand um, that. That was my problem. But okay. um, yeah, last, uh, last thing. I didn't think I was giving the final recommendation. That's why, so I know I messed, I messed it up, but uh, I was hoping or expecting the, okay, give us a final recommendation. And mm. I didn't get that question. And that's why I didn't. Uh, no, it doesn't always sound like that. Yeah. Right. So we were, we were already over 30 minutes in right. and which, which is long for uh, a first round case that, you know, didn't have any exhibits or anything to it. Um Okay, so let me let, let me just lightning through some feedback. So overall, this case took us 34 minutes. This is a, a reasonable first round case. We should probably be able to get through it in about 25. Um, so overall today, I would give you probably a seven out of 10, but you're really gonna need to be an eight and a half or a nine probably to kind of make it through the first round of McKinsey. McKinsey interviewer led case does feel like individual questions one after another. They may not feel related or connected. They do all have a way and it is best if you can find a way to to bring it back to the case objective um, and to the client's overall priority. Uh, We'll talk about what some of those are as we go through. you weren't expecting that I was going to give you a behavioral question up front, but right. you you pulled out an answer. I think that you did well. You're going to have to think specifically for each firm that you're interviewing with. What is it that I am interested in in that firm? For McKinsey specifically, um, you know, it's a really good answer to to lead and provide provide numbered structure. So you know, there's there's three good reasons why I, I'm excited to work at McKinsey. Um, first, I'm excited to work with clever and bright people. Second the diversity of thought around me uh, really inspires me. And third, to be honest, I've heard that you guys have an incredible workspace in Milan. So, uh, you know, first on that point about the clever and bright work, you know, working team and the people that I would get to engage with, blah, 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 blah. Second, blah, 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 blah. Right. But like, uh, quick off the bat, tell me your three things, expand a little bit. Um, you got there. It was clear what your three things were. It would just be even better if you led with those in a punchy bullet pointed fashion. Um, then we moved into the case prompt. Uh, McKinsey is moving more and more towards, and also other, other, you know, Bain and BCGR as well. Um, they're trying to add in more and more cases that require outside of the box thinking that, you know, aren't, easily applicable to a standard framework, um, things that that maybe they're even trying to hit something that they know that you don't have any background or experience in. You know, you are Italian, you have a little bit of, of experience in the US school system, but not much. I don't expect you to know very much about this space at all. Um, that doesn't mean that I am, you know, I'm going to uh, void this case from you doing it. In fact, I may choose this case. I chose this case off the shelf knowing that you were not going to have very much exposure here, but still thinking, well, what can Marco, what's his, you know, unique, uh, perspective? What, what insights can you bring to the situation? Even though I know that you don't have a lot of exposure there. Um, I, th- I thought that you, uh, did well to, to recap, um, 
the most of the key points, but you didn't recap all the information. So I wasn't sure if you really captured down the, you know, the, the categorization of the elementary, junior and high school. You you did capture that correctly. You were able to utilize that information and data later on. But I wasn't sure if you got that down and the 130,000 students. Um, McKinsey's moving more and more towards injecting an extra question before you get to the structure. So be prepared for that, right? You kind of immediately moved into, let me create my framework. And I said, well, before you do that, I want to get your thoughts on this other thing. You pivoted easily and you were pretty flexible with that. I think you pivoted quite well each time I tried to nudge you in a different direction or give you more information. Uh, you readily accepted what I was trying to say or, you know, the new question that I had for you. And so I thought you did really well with that throughout. By asking that additional question, it helped also you were able to develop a hypothesis before you went into the creation of your structure, um, which kind of helped develop the conversation along. Right. And so you you communicated to me at that point. Well, I really think that that what's behind this is how do we increase students learning. And, and I think that, that that is going to be driven by, you know, their, their engagement with the material and how well they really know the subjects. And, and then I got to see that really put into practice when you created and, de and delivered your structure to me. Um, the structure was good. It wasn't great, right? So you, you gave a basic framing of what are things we could do inside school? What are things that we could do outside of school? Two categories, basic structure. You got a lot of key elements that you wanted to try and kind of test um, around from a hypothesis driven standpoint. Um, you know, you might have been able to build that out to three or more categories if you thought about um, the, you know, the, the different stakeholders or the different roles at play. Right. What could the, what could students do? What could the teachers do? What could the overall school system do? What could the parents do or. What could you do inside school? What could you do at home? What are some societal things that might be at play that are driving the numbers down? That could be another framing I think that could kind of work here. Um, I, I was worried as you started your structure that you were going to be solutioning too much. Um, but as you went and talked through the individual elements, it sounded more like things that you wanted to investigate and explore, potential drivers that could help impact and increase the, the standardized test scores. And so I think that as you talked through it, um, it got better. Um, but then there were only five distinct uh, you know, kind of ideas or, you know, elements to your, to your structure that I, that I ended up capturing. Um, for a two minute pause for a McKinsey case, I want at least three categories with three bullet points in each one. So I really want at least nine things that you want to investigate and explore. And then after that, uh, I want you to end with a hypothesis. You've given me a bunch of, of, ideas, a bunch of questions. Um, tell me what you think is most important. When I pushed you for that, you said, well, I would really start with wanting to understand what the school does now. But none of those current state questions were actually even in your structure. Um, but that's a great, you know, start from a blank sheet of paper. What are all the things that you want to know about? What's the data that you want to collect? Um, what are the things that you need to figure out so that when you bring all that together, you can come up with a, with a full recommendation for how they improve test scores? Um, I thought it was good to, to lean in with humility. You had a comment or two throughout the discussion to say, I don't really have a lot of exposure in this space, but this is the way that I'm thinking about it. And I think that you approach that in a, in a good way. Um, no reason to shy away from that fact. Um, you didn't sound, you didn't sound unconfident by, by communicating that as well. I think it just couched the conversation, uh, effectively and appropriately. This case had two math portions and one creative question. Our first question, you really started super strong. You you recapped clearly, you qualitatively talked through the approach and the steps that you wanted to take. Um, you pulled numbers quickly from the intro prompt without me having to remind you that you already had the information to figure out how many students were in each grade and everything else. You stated your assumptions clearly. And then you did way too much math to figure out what's 25% of 40,000. Uh, um, yeah, you know, I want you to, I want you to go back and kind of anchor yourself on your core fractions and percentages. 25% is one fourth, one fourth of 40,000 is 10,000. Right. Okay, sure. So yeah. um, instead of what's 10%, what's 20%, let me add 5%. You still got to the right answer. It was just non-intuitive. Um, 
then then uh, you did well to follow my nudges. When you were calculating 80% of 25,000, I would probably go the strategy uh, to strip out 20% rather than calculate up to 80%. So it just, just as I think you might've gotten there faster, um, think through if you think that that would make you more efficient. And then at the end of every single question, uh, yes, I want you to get to the right answer. And then you need to have commentary after that. Um, get to those second order insights. Uh, try to connect it back to the case objective. How could this help impact the, the students' standardized test scores, students' academic performance overall? And I thought that you had a good a good commentary there to say, this will be helpful, but it is not going to be the only answer. This is no silver bullet. It only increases and it doesn't even fully fully fulfill and fully solve this problem by itself. Um, so I thought that you did well to do that. You could add an additional math calculation there to, to come up with the percentage of how much of the problem this helps improve. Um, that would be 58% if you did the math. Um, but uh, overall, that question took almost nine minutes and it went pretty well, but it wasn't efficient at all times. Um, and we could we could strip and take some time back there. Um, then I asked you a creative question around teachers. You asked some, you had a good recap and you had some really good clarification questions to help understand more of the context. Um, so, you know, I kind of had to push you to build out your answer, um, which was OK. Right. I, I would it's, I would love for you to just go ahead and, um, you know, test the waters briefly once with saying, you know, yes or no. I think that this would be an, you know, have an impact. And then if I push you again, it's like, OK, now I'm going to fully structure out an answer and come up with a, a hypothesize a bunch of different things here. Um, I felt like you tested the waters maybe twice. You answered the question just a little bit and then. You, you ask some clarifying questions and then you answer the question just a little bit. And then I had to press you again. Um, but when I when I pushed you on that, we ended up spending almost four minutes there um, of the of the three answers you came up with first, the way they teach and where or how they teach. I felt like there was some overlap to that answer. So um, you not really exactly kind of had not exactly me. See, yeah. yeah. So you kind of yeah. had like two and a half answers that you came up with. Yeah, I pushed you for one more and I felt like, you know, leveraging additional resources and having diversity there. I thought that that was a good follow up, a good answer there. Even in qualitative questions, you, you know, you can try and close that answer out by driving to insights and trying to connect it back to the overall objective. Um, then the second math question, I, I thought you did well to recap the numbers confidently, even when you knew that you didn't capture down all the information. Um, we had a little bit of trouble with the term, you know, yeah, utilization, capacity, capacity yeah. um, and, but you were able to recover. Um, you, you recovered, you got the question complete. We had a couple of side steps along the way, but you followed my nudges. You didn't shrink back. I felt like you stayed pretty confident and, uh, you know, on, 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 you know, on track throughout. It wasn't fully efficient though. Again, uh, this question took us almost eight minutes. And it should it should be half that, yeah, right? Yeah, I agree. Um, Compared to the first math question, wasn't yeah, not even yeah. close. Yeah, because um, there was only a couple of calculations to do there, um, and and I want you to layer on the implications and talk about why this matters. You got to some good things. The the good one that you got to was well, this could lead to smaller classes, and smaller classes could lead to better learning outcomes. If teachers have more time, you know, per student, maybe that's going to then improve their learning outcomes, improve their test scores. That was the second of three answers. I didn't love the first implication response and I didn't love the third implication response. In the school, in school systems, in public education, we don't really talk about revenue in the same way. Um, it's not really the same driver and it doesn't really, it doesn't attach back to the case objective. Um, and then you know, we already covered how this capacity utilization does, doesn't really uh, connect with books. So kind of speaking to it, it didn't make sense to me, you know, why you would bring books back into this conversation. Um, and then you did summarize what we had done. Uh, so, you know, so far, but that was that was another version and variation of me wrapping up this conversation. So you want to always have a pulse on kind of how long this this interview has been scheduled for, how much time you've already been in this conversation. Maybe you choose to wear a watch into 
you know, or have a clock in front of you if it's a virtual environment. Um, and when you sense that you're getting close to that, anything that sounds like a summary or uh, any type of recommendation, you should consider that to be your, you know, your final, final parting piece. Welcome to After Office Hours, where we get a chance to answer your listener questions. If you haven't gotten the chance yet, please send us your question. We would prefer that you do so over a voice recording. I'd love to hear your voice. We'd love to hear what you have to say, what you're curious about. So you can just open up a voice recorder app on your smartphone, record yourself asking the question, and then send it to us along with your name and location and your current position or program in school to podcast at managementconsulted.com. So today we're going to answer a question from Sweta from Boise. And she says, what are the chances of a candidate getting into management consulting who has a PhD in engineering and worked in the semiconductor field for the past five years? I'm thinking of applying for MBB in the summer. And I wanted some tips on how to approach from an experienced higher point of view and competition. I'm in my early 30s, senior engineer, wondering what position do experienced hires start from is that associate level. Okay, a lot of great questions in here. So I'll tell you that, you know, what what are the chances? Do I have a better or worse chance given my specific background? Um, I would say no, right? I mean, these firms are looking for the best, the best talent that they can. And that talent comes from all different places, all different backgrounds, walks of life. Um, now, what I don't have visibility into is really how strong your background is. And when we think about, you know, when we do resume edits and we help you uh, polish and, and make sure that we're pulling out the best from your background and experience, when you're sitting with your, your own personal stories and doing behavioral interview prep, you know, we're always thinking about it in terms of three main categories education, professional experience, and leadership. And so, you know, we've got, um, you can go on the website, you can read articles more about it, right? But the, uh, from a consulting standpoint, brand names matter. So, you know, your, your exposure to program, your, your degrees from a top university, um, the, you know, the, the, the companies that you've worked for or even worked with as a, from a client perspective, um, perhaps as a semiconductor engineer, right? Um, always being quantitative when you're writing out your, your resume bullet points, you're speaking to impact that you have delivered or driven. Um, all these things are important. It's not one main thing that's going to make you stand out, but but making your background and your resume shine overall, making sure to speak to key accomplishments that you've achieved, certainly any awards you've received. Um, but it, it may look different coming from a PhD background. You may be starting from a CV and you you may be well served to try and translate that over still to a one page resume. Now you do have several years of work experience. I don't know how long it took you to finish your PhD, but now being in your 30s, um, you had some extended schooling, plus you've had some significant time in the workforce. So it, it could turn into a two page resume. Um, you could still you could still make that a one page resume with an overview, you know, one to two line section at the very top of that first page. Um, that'd be something that you need to get need to get sorted and figured out before before you submit applications. And before you submit applications, we recommend that you really start to network within your target firms as well. And of course, it's not just networking within the firm that's important, but within the specific tribe of that firm that you're applying into. If you're applying at a generalist role, generalist level, then it is the office location that you're preferencing in that application process. If you are uh, applying into a, a more targeted position, implementation consultant or an operations consultant, then you need to try to get to know and meet some folks within that part of the firm. Uh, it is, you know, we, we talk about this quite a lot on the podcast, right? Recruiting and consulting is rather tribal. Uh, that's phrasing I like to use. It's a, it's a fairly decentralized process. There's a bar that everybody has to cross. Yes. And there is, there's some introductory kind of, you know, 
centralized recruiting functions and review. But ultimately, the people that you want to try and get to know, not only to to try and smooth your pathway forward in terms of the, the application and recruitment process, but also to pressure test and ensure whether or not that's the firm you want to work with and that you're excited to work with those people specifically. Networking is a huge part of that process. And it should start before you actually even submit that application online. Um, and then we come to the part of your question, which is, what level at which am I applying into? Now, generally speaking, advanced degree candidates would apply into an associate level position. That's that's the same kind of post-MBA position. The, the language, the title of that role changes from firm to firm. But then you add on top of that, well, I do have corporate experience. I now have work experience as well. And this is where there's a little bit of nuance. Now, I still anticipate that you are you are an associate candidate. Someone who might be able to come in above that level would be someone with specific business experience where the, the connection, the relationship is clear in terms of the the knowledge base that they're bringing to the firm and that you can already move into, let's say, an expert position or um, with significant corporate experience um, and, and already project management experience and probably project sales experience. People have the opportunity to potentially come in at a, a junior partner uh, type level. But even then, many firms would have those candidates start and get their feet wet one one role lower. Um, so somebody who, you know, maybe is switching from one firm to another and is coming in at the, the junior partner level, the new firm may have them be at an engagement manager level for a few projects. Or somebody who already has extensive client services experience, project management experience, and some specialty that they've already started to uh, you know, to to start to have in an, either a functional or industry view, um, then they may come in really at the in- engagement manager level, yet may be asked to do their first one or two projects at an associate level, um, and and this helps someone you know kind of ramp up into the role. It helps them start to learn the firm culture, expectations in terms of um, team relationships and management culture, you know, engaging with other people in your office and practice, um, you know, getting a feel for how to use all the new tools and functionality and support groups in your new firm, you know, understanding what the look and feel is of the way that your firm is going to do slide decks and create Excel models, etc. Now, for for it to make sense for you to come in above an, an associate level, you have to have applied experience that matches the service offerings that that firm has. So unless you're targeting a firm that specifically has a service line around semiconductor consulting or something highly related, which I don't anticipate is the case, then you are in effect career switching fully and you're having to kind of rebuild your skill set and toolkit as a likely a generalist or I could imagine possibly an operations consultant. But I likely I likely wouldn't believe that you have uh, a directly applicable skill set and you know corporate experience to be able to translate over and start at a higher level. As you go through an engagement manager tenure and before you would get, you know, that promotion to start the full path to partner at a a junior partner level, you have to have specialties defined in your network built within the firm around a specific industry or functional area. And usually a combination of both, like a major and a minor. Um, So there will be some people with PhDs and and. Um, moderate level of corporate experience, where that's more directly applicable to the work that that business does and could make the case to come in at a higher level. Um, Now, as you go through your conversations with different firms and individuals, certainly want to pressure test that, but I recommend that you do 
anticipate starting at a firm at an associate level. Good luck in your journey. In today's case, Marco showed that this was not one of his first case interviews, although everything didn't fully come together today. He still needs to continue to move efficiently through the math, drive to insights and recommendations throughout the discussion, and generate a more robust structure. Live case practice is so important in this process. And if you'd like help having simulated interviews like this with feedback from experts, consider working with one of our coaches at Management Consulted. All of our coaches are ex-McKinsey, Bain, and BCG interviewers and consultants who would love to help you in this journey. They'll work with you on a customized approach to identify your strengths and weaknesses, helping you drill in your weak areas while mocking through full cases to make sure that you're proficient across the board and that you can really crush the case when it comes time to be in the hot seat in that interview. You can find a link in the show notes or read more about our offerings at managementconsulted.com. We'll see you next time.